Welcome to Sam's Business Growth Show. I'm Sam Dunning, a digital marketing, sales, and business growth evangelist. Tune in and subscribe today as I'll be interviewing business leaders, experts, and entrepreneurs from around the globe. You'll be learning their story, how digital marketing has helped them along the way, and exclusive tips and insights to help you skyrocket your own business. And welcome back to a fresh episode of Sam's Business Growth Show. I'm excited to be joined by the sales legend, John Barrows, today. John is the CEO over at JB Sales. He's not just a trainer, but he's really a practitioner. He's also author of the sales book for kids. I want to be in sales when I grow up and the host of the Make It Happen Mondays podcast. He's provided sales training consultation services to some of the world's fastest growing companies like Salesforce.com, Google, LinkedIn, Dropbox, Many, many more. John, excited for this one, man. A very warm welcome. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing fantastic, Sam. Thanks for having me on there. I appreciate it. No worries, dude. So yeah, looking forward to chatting. Um, today, the, the hot topic is going to be how to prospect through the mm-hmm. noise, which as I know is, is a big thing that you and the guys over at JB Sales are quite hot on right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to hopefully be giving everyone tuning in, watching, listening, some real actionable strategies on what they can do with everything that's going on today to really break through what every, everything that's going on and secure new meetings and, and get deals over the line. But before we get to that stuff, John, for anyone that does not know John Barrows, please do give us a snapshot, a background on, on your good self, how you got into business, how you got into sales. That'd be great. Yeah, so I appreciate it. Yeah, I'll try to make it brief. So I uh, sure. grew up here in Boston, um, went down to U Maryland, got my degree in marketing because I didn't really know what I wanted to be when I grew up, got into sales with DeWalt Power Tools, uh, did that for about a year and a half, then Xerox, that's where I got my real sales education, uh, talking about selling a commodity, and then uh, split from there, started a company called Thrive Networks, doing outsourced IT services to the SMB market, self-funded, 24 years old, didn't know what I was doing, so took every training there was, Sandler, Miller, Hyman, Taz, all of it, uh, came across this one company, Basho, really loved the training. Uh, so used it, helped grow, thrive up. We're the fastest growing company in Massachusetts for a few years in a row. Got us to about 12 million in revenue and uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, 12 million in revenue, about 85 employees and then sold off to Staples. Staples bought us. Uh, it's been about a year going through that integration. Come to find out apparently I'm not a corporate guy. Uh, I don't have much of a filter and I really don't like playing politics. So after a little while, Staples offered me another position. They fired me. And uh, then uh, started with Basho, not because I wanted to be a trainer, but because I love the content and you had to sell to train. So joined Basho, then they screwed it all up and I took it over to make a very long story short. So now, like you said, I'm working with some really cool companies like LinkedIn, Salesforce, Box, Dropbox, uh, Slack, all those and having some fun doing it. Good man. All right, John, let's jump straight into it. So like we're saying, there's there's so much there's so much noise. It's, it's tough now because everything's almost moved virtual in, in the B2B mm-hmm. space, especially. So what are some ways that with, with all the noise, with all the poor prospecting outreach that we can really break through and connect with our ideal customers, John, and actually start landing meetings and getting some some business done with what's going on today? Yeah, it's tough. I, I mean, it's it's interesting when when COVID hit, you know, March timeframe. Uh, there was, I think HubSpot had this graph of, of tracking what was going on with emails and calls and email volume went through the roof because everybody went home and the response rates dropped through the floor. Same thing with phone, phone connect rates were hard to begin with. And now they were damn near impossible. There are, they're starting to come back. 
but it was really hard to crack through the noise. So some tactical things, um, you know, videos huge. I mean, I know you had Morgan on the show. We're seeing a lot of success with LinkedIn videos and using video throughout the sales process, not just uh, prospecting, but dealing with objections, delivering proposals. So a lot of this about, you know, showing empathy, you know, people, <laughs> it was funny back in March, you know, everybody said, lead with empathy, lead with empathy, lead with empathy. And then, you know, five, five days into it, every single email in my inbox started with, I hope you and your family are doing well, and then cut to some piece of crap value proposition. Yeah. And, you know, that's not empathy. Empathy is, is really putting yourself in somebody else's shoes and, and how do you show it? Well, video is the best way to do it. So we're been using video a lot. Um, but I think the big theme that I want to get across to people is, is this, this concept of telling a story, not necessarily a cadence. I think cadences are, are important, like a multi-touch contact strategy, but most of the multi-touch contact strategies that I'm seeing right now are really templated, right? It's, they might send one decent email and then it's, Hey, did you get my first one bubbling this one up to the top? And, you know, and then one, two, three stuck under a rock type of crap. But the idea of telling a story and, and having a narrative around it and, and mixing up the mediums, uh, you know, quick example here. I went on vacation for two weeks. This is the first time I went on vacation for a long time, family, yep. and I did not check my emails once, like shut off my phone, didn't check once, which for the first time in 25 years of my career that I didn't do that. Right. So I came back and, um, I had 2000 emails in my inbox, right? 2040 emails in my inbox. And I went through them and I categorized them to say, okay, which ones, what buckets, right? Marketing emails and list service, whatever. And I did sales emails and there were 78 sales emails. What I would consider, hey, either they want to meet with me or they want to pitch me on something, right? Got it. Zero of them were personalized. Zero of them were personalized. So I've been preaching personalization for 12 years now. And I think, oh yeah, everybody gets it, but nobody's still doing it. And so if you take personalization, it's not just enough to be personalized. Hey, John, I see you went to University of Maryland. You have to be relevant as well. So you have to be personal and relevant, and you have to tell a story. So you have to bring different things to the table. So you're getting people to think and not pitching all the time, but like asking mm -hmm. a question, getting them to think, sharing a piece of content, sending them a video, making a phone call, leaving a voicemail to tell them that you sent them a video to go back and look at it. So there's all these different mix and match things that we have to play around with here. But the whole idea is telling this narrative story and adding value. Got it. And on that note, John, so everyone's got their idea of what makes a great cold email, what makes a great cold outreach. Mm -hmm. And when we're talking about personalization and also storytelling, Bearing in mind when we're doing a cold call, if we're doing a cold email, cold video, what it is, we've only got a limited, a few few seconds really to mm -hmm. actually get our prospect's attention mm -hmm. and then try and get the follow-up, whether that's a meeting or whatever we want to get out of it. Um, how do we personalize that without being creepy, without saying, look, I've, I've been looking around your profile and I can see you really like this football team or this soccer yeah. team and this kind of stuff. But how do we get to something we know is actually important to them and then at the same time tweak that into a story when we've only got a few seconds to get our point across? Yeah, and, and and this is where personalization, I think, where people fail or misunderstand personalization. I, I think those creepy things that you just mentioned are, you know, well, they're not creepy, but like, hey, the football team or the, you know, the school, the university that you went to, that's fine, but don't lead with that, right? I mean, that was kind of linked in circa 2020 from 2002 and 2003 prospecting. And that was good back then, right? When LinkedIn first started getting popular, if you did go on my LinkedIn profile and see that I went to U Maryland and made that connection, it showed you were personalized. But now it's just like, all right, whatever. First of all, I'm a 44-year-old man. If you reference my college, like you've already lost. 
<clears throat> so so personalization really means something that I find that is that, and I want to come back to personalization and relevance. If you can make it personal and relevant, and when I say mm. personalized, something about you, something about your company, right? So either you told you you posted about something, you wrote about something, your company did something, but then what about that? What relevance does your solution have to that? And when I talk about telling a story in the in the the snippets here. You know, most people prospect in, in one of two ways. They do it either a broad kind of elevator pitch approach, which is, hey, we do sales training consulting for Fortune 500 companies, right? And guarantee the results you're looking for. And that never lands. Or they do, hey, we do sales training consulting and we do prospecting, meeting execution, negotiation, objection, handling, closing. Those are kind of the five things that we do, right? And look, I could probably wrap a nice little type message around that. But, but say I send you that email or I leave you that voicemail and you don't respond. What's my next email? What's my next voicemail? Hey, it's me again. <laughs> Did you get my first email? Uh, just want to let you know, we do prospecting, meeting, execution. Goes, so instead of that, if you had me choose between personalization and relevance, I would choose relevance all day long. You know, the ideal state is both of them. But if okay. I had to choose, I would say relevance. So for instance, if you're a VP of sales in the SaaS industry, I can do some homework on you or, or your persona to say, okay, let's go on Google and type in VPs of sales, SaaS industry, priorities, challenges, 2020, COVID-19, right? Whatever. And read a few articles about what VPs of sales in the SaaS industry right now are dealing with. And then extract what those priorities are and then align the components of your uh, solution offering to those priorities and then tell a story. Right. Because my first email to you about a VP of sales and that should be about prospecting. And if you don't like that, I don't care. My next phone calls are going to be going to be about negotiations. You don't like that. I don't care. The next one's going to be about meeting execution. So let marketing do the broadband. This is everything that we do. I think in sales, we need to throw darts. Right. Hey, what about this? And what about that? And what about this? And you might miss and miss and miss and miss and miss. But then you might strike that nerve. And if every one of those messages has been relevant and 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 at least somewhat uh, tailored to either your persona or you or your company after a while, I might give you a chance. Right. And that's kind of the key here is that we have a short period of time. So cut it up in those short snippets and then parse them out as opposed to doing one big email and then saying, did you get it five times in a row? Got it. Okay. So to actually like to break that down a bit, so actually doing a bit of research, looking online, perhaps articles with what's going on with your target customer, your, your ideal customer profile, seeing that learning the kind of challenges they've got through articles, blogs, and those kind of resources. And then, I mean, if you can, yeah, if you have the time to do that, if you have the time to go on somebody's website, right. And do that, like, first of all, recommendations here, do it all, do all your research at the same time. When you're going after a certain account and a certain business uh, and person, Try to find as many things as you can. Don't do research for one thing and write one email and send it and then schedule another activity three or four days later. Do all your research at the same time. So look for as many different things and don't discriminate here. Like anything, you know, there are companies that, you know, if they have content on their website, that's a good, that's a, that's a reason to reach out to them. If they have a help desk support section on their website, if they have the portal for their clients, if they have multiple product lines, like these are all little things that if you really think about it, your solution can connect to. So what are those easy things to look for? And then, yeah, if you can look at articles and press releases and that type of thing and pull out quotes and that type of stuff, that's fantastic. But do that all at the same time, okay? So look for all your triggers at the same time. Then figure out the persona you're going after. And then you do the broader research of what does that persona in that industry care about? 
So now you have trigger information that you can create messaging around and you have persona information you can create messaging around. Then you mix it up. So maybe your first email is a personalized one. Hey, I saw you wrote this blog or whatever it is. But your second one is we're showing VPs of sales and assassins how to drive these type of results based on their priorities. And my third one is a shared piece of content that aligns with VPs of sales based on their priorities, right? So if you have all those assets at the same time, then you can figure out how do I tell this story and which ones are going to be calls, emails, phone, social, video, whatever. Got it. Got it. Nice, man. And what are you guys finding is the, the best way to, to prospect right now to generate meetings through through social, let's say LinkedIn mm-hmm. as on, on a B2B basis? Is it, is it all video or are you doing tailored yeah. messages or are you doing some no, other LinkedIn video? I mean, it, it, for us now, a lot, a lot of this has to do with who's your ICP and who are your personas, okay? Of course. We sell to VPs of sales, CROs, and VPs of enablement, usually in SaaS. So uh, most of them are on social, most of them are on LinkedIn, and most of them are very active on LinkedIn. And so that's why LinkedIn video right now, if we go back to my vacation, of those 2,040 emails that I got, 356 of them were LinkedIn messages. Of those 356 LinkedIn messages, um, I think 18 of them were, were, were personalized and only two of them were video. And those videos are the ones that stood out. And again, you hear a lot of people talking about LinkedIn video, but yet still nobody's doing it nearly as much as they could be. Now, probably in a year or two, it's going to be overplayed and it's not going to be as effective. But right now, uh, I think 50% of Morgan's pipeline right now is because of LinkedIn video. Got it. Yeah, yeah. He shared a, a really nice strategy of um, how to approach video. And just like you say, John, I think I said this on one of the last episodes, but the amount of pictures I get daily, let alone oh. the amount of pictures I'm sure you get daily, and mm-hmm. the, the, the few that are actually personalized, and then the few from there that are actually video messages or audio messages, just just such a good way to break out from the rest of the clutter in the inbox. Well, just again, it shows empathy, right? It puts that human element. I mean, I think we as sales professionals, you know, we need to let technology do a lot of the work to be as efficient as we possibly can be, but we can't make it do all the work. And sure. and so I have this, you know, concept of or mentality of I want to be the last mile, right? I want to have... I want to have all the you know technology feed me the information about you, your company, your industry, and that type of stuff, and maybe even have messaging that I can pull from from marketing or whatever. But before it goes out, I want to be the one that that humanizes it. And what's the easiest way to humanize content? This. Right. And that's why I can't stand, for instance, videos like, you know, look, we're big fans of Vidyard. We're actually partners with them. But what I can't stand is when people put the like whiteboard and they superimpose your name, Sam, you know, and then when you open it up, it's like this generic, hey, you, thanks so much for opening up my email. I really appreciate it. And this is kind of this canned message. No, like video, the purpose of video is to be personalized the purpose of video is to show empathy to be who you are to show a human right and i think that's where you know people miss a little bit because they're trying to figure out oh how can i do video at scale i mean you can it's not going to work it's just like spamming people it's just like sending out a templated email to 100 people like you'll get a maybe a one percent response rate right it's the same thing with video it's the same thing with phone it's the same thing with email Got it, man. No, I completely agree. It's, it's quite annoying when you get those kind of messages and it's just you just realize it's just a generic video mm-hmm. that they've sent to about 100 people. Cool. So you guys have built uh, a huge brand over at JB Sales and James and Morgan, yourself, have all got huge followings on LinkedIn. How, have you got any tips for people that want to steadily build their brand as an entrepreneur, as a small business, even a, a bigger business on how they can do this and some of the strategies you guys have, have put into place to, to build your brands to what they are today? 
Yeah, you know, I think we all come, actually, it's funny, we all come from different angles on this, myself, Morgan and James, you know, and different perspectives from a from an age standpoint, even, you know, look, I'm, I'm about to be 45 years old, you know, when social selling and brand building first hit, right, her first hit sales, uh, you know, I was like, great, yet another thing I got to do to be successful in sales, fantastic, add it to the list, you know, and the whole idea of tweeting and posting and, and, and that and to build a following, like I honestly, when it first started, I really didn't understand the point. I thought it was stupid. I thought this was just, you know, for kids on Twitter and stuff like that. So when I decided to go off on my own with JB sales, I decided, all right, I'm, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this my way. And my way was was more it was all about quality, right? So, and where it flipped for me was, and this is for everybody looking to get into it because you don't have to be the content creator to build your brands. Okay. I mean, I think the stats are on LinkedIn, like less than 1% of people actually create content on LinkedIn, whereas everybody else consumes. So you don't have to be the content creator. You have to be the content curator. And what happened with me was where it really flipped for me and started making sense was when I started looking at it as educating myself first. Right. So I should be educating myself on my industry. I should be educating myself on my personas that I'm going after, the trends and all that other stuff. Right. Just from a pure business acumen standpoint. So I, I identified things that I should be educating myself on and that my audience was interested in. Right. Or, or, you know, my target audience should be interested in. Then I started consuming that content from other thought leaders. Right. So I use a, I use Feedly. So F E E D L Y. It's just an RSS aggregator. And what it does, say there's like four or five different sales blogs you like reading. Well, usually you have to go to four or five different sales websites or, you know, have four or five different sales emails hit your inbox. With Feedly, you can create a folder called feed uh, called sales blogs and dump all your sales blogs in there. So when you open it up, you just see the headlines of all the different sales blogs and kind of scan through and see what you like. So, for instance, if you are uh, selling uh, cybersecurity to CIO to CISOs or something like that, go into Feedly, create a folder called CISOs. Then go out and Google and type in CISOs, uh, thought leaders, 2020, right? And see what CISOs are out there or what organizations are writing blogs or whatever it is about CISOs and some of the challenges that they're faced with. Put those blogs into that folder in Feedly. And then every morning when you're drinking your coffee, right, scan through those data feeds. That's kind of my morning paper where I just kind of scan through data feeds and I look for topics that are relevant to me, but also my audience and when I scan through and I see an article that I like the headline, I'm like, oh, that's kind of interesting. I read that article to learn first. And then, and only then when I learn something, that's when I share it on social LinkedIn, whatever with my context. And that's a key here too, is don't just share to share. Okay. Share with your thoughts on it because Sam, let's put it this way. Like I wrote a blog, I read a blog, right? I've been writing a blog for the past six years. It's a pain in the ass. It takes me, I don't know, it takes me about an hour to sit down, think of something to write that's kind of decent, right? And then I send it to my team. They SEO it, they optimize it, whatever. And then it goes out. So we're like three hours into a one, uh, one blog post, right? Now say I post that out and you and I are connected, okay? And you read my blog and you like it. So you share it out there. Hey, really interesting blog by John, blah, 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 whatever. And somebody you are connected to reads my blog because you shared it and they like it. Who do they thank? Probably you. No, they thank you. <laughs> it, I might get another follower. I might get yeah. the, oh, I like, but they don't say, "Oh, John, thanks so much for writing that article." They yeah, say, yeah, thanks for putting that out. <laughs> for sharing that article. So you get all the credit. I did all the work. So if you focus on education first, a you learn. B, you when you share, you share with your actual thoughts and authentic mind. You know, you know, with an authentic approach there. 
And, and that's where you start to build and gain engagement. And it's not just a singular, oh, I'm trying to build a following here. I mean, I think everybody gets caught up with how many followers and likes and shares and stuff like that. Uh, you know, it's engagement that matters. It doesn't matter how many likes I get or views I get. It's how many people are actually engaged and, and value what I put out there. And if you look at it that way, it starts to make a lot more sense. Yeah, and I think that's a really good angle. And I like the point you said at the start, being a content curator rather than a creator. Mm-hmm. So you're actually learning first then putting content that's actually relevant to the service or the product that you're trying to sell trying to offer people and then if it has to be sharing a blog post then you're putting your own take on it putting your own spin on it rather than just sharing another blog link for the sake of it that everyone's going to skim past so yeah putting putting your own opinion against things and yeah like you say then people thank you to share it so that that makes perfect sense man and that's that's some real nice tips cool um yeah so moving on i mean in terms of um when, what I'm interested, this this is taking a bit of a, a side angle rather than the, mm-hmm. the main topic. But when you were when you were first growing JB Sales, were you guys um, were you guys just hitting the phones nonstop in terms of that side of things, or were you taking mm-hmm. a digital approach from from day one? Because I know, you've, like you say, you've had your blog for a while. Or how did it first start out when you were trying to grow things and get meetings booked and deals over the line? Yeah, it was, a, it was, a, you know, I kind of graduated. I, I, you know, I always say I'm a, I'm a calculated risk taker. I'm not a, like the ultimate risk taker in the sense that I'm not a pure startup guy of from zero with nothing mom's basement go. I'm usually there, there has to be a few things in place there for me to take that jump. And so when I was at Basho um, and they, they literally like a new 2007 hit, new CEO came in, tanked the company, fired all of us on the spot. And, and me and one of the other the senior trainers there, we were the only two left standing. So we effectively took over Basho and it was me and him. And we started Kensei Partners. And then after that, I split off and went off my own. So there was a gradual. It wasn't me just, OK, now what do I do? So there were customers there. But I do remember, and this is for a lot of the entrepreneurs, my opinion, a lot of the entrepreneurs out there to pay, pay attention to, especially if you're starting your own business, you want that marquee client you want that name that you can use that's going to make your life easier and i remember when we were at basho and we got fired me and actually two of the other senior trainers sat there and said all right we're going to start our own business to basically take that over and we put all the names up on the board of all the clients that basho had done business with and you know there was i mean there were some big ones especially at the time like monster.com sap like you know all and then salesforce and this was 12 years ago. So Salesforce was good, but they weren't where they are. But I had seen them, like I just knew that they were on a rocket ship, right? So I I pretended I cared about all those other clients, but I just wanted Salesforce because we were kind of negotiating on that. And so I got Salesforce. And what I did was for really the first you know, six to 12 months of me working with Kensei and then off of my own, I, I pretty much over-serviced. I, I, I did more things for Salesforce than I would have for any other client, right? So I gave them pricing that I probably wouldn't have given other people. I went to like Singapore for a day multiple times to train their team out there. Um, and, and the goal there was hyper-focused, do super high quality work for one really good client and maybe give up a little so that I could get that logo and, and get that story and that testimonial that I could then use to, to fish in the waters that I knew I could fish in, which was the SaaS world. So once I really solidified them as that, that big client and, and again, you know, did a little bit of pain uh, up front to, to give away what I probably wouldn't have given away otherwise, then it became then I started to, to you know, kind of 
go outside of that circle, right? So now with Salesforce as the center, I started to identify everybody else who fit that ICP. And then, yes, then it was not just hammering the phones or hammering emails, but it was what are the channels, right? There's phone, email, networking, um, referrals. There's all these, you know, there's web and SEO and optimization. And so we outlined sure. kind of the five main channels that were that were relevant to our audience and how we could drive leads. And we tried to optimize each one of those channels. <clears throat> awesome, awesome. And uh, out of curiosity, how did you first get get in touch with Salesforce? Was it like a client you already had a books or a referral or something like that? Yeah, no, it was our training. So uh, you know, we trained. So Basha was very famous for this one email called the Why You Why You Now email. I still train on it. I've adjusted it and evolved it a little bit. It's called the A to email now, but it was called the Why You Why You Now, and it goes back to our original point, which is personalization. Which was, you know, you went on somebody's website and you found a trigger. And you sent an email, hey, I was doing some research and I noticed this thing happened, whatever. And you fire it off to the senior level executive, you get referred down and we did it. Uh, so I didn't do it. I'm still looking for that email. I wish the rep uh, hadn't deleted their inbox uh, when everybody f got fired. But, you know, we sent an email to George, Hugh and Frank, uh, sort of VP of sales and the CMO. And they funneled it all the way down to this, this guy, Doug Landis, who's a good friend of mine now. And Doug got it and was like, okay, I have to take this because, you know, our CMO just told me to take this conversation. And one thing led to another, you know, 12 years later, I'm still training them. So it's a lot of practice what you preach. Um, yeah. I can't stand sales organization, sales training organizations that don't use their own training to, to sell. Uh, to me, that's like, what, what's the point? So we used our own training to get in there. Love it. Love it, man. And it's interesting that point. So you said you, you went all in to, to get Salesforce on board, mm -hmm. like cut pricing a little bit, flew out all over the shop, did all this training. And it mm -hmm. kind of reminds me of social proof. So when, when we're looking at clients to design their websites or to do their social work and you, you have these brands or you have these testimonials or you have these reviews, just to give prospective clients that see your presence online, whether it's your website, whether it's a digital asset or social, and it just helps build up that level of confidence that might tick them over the edge from just being a browser to actually yeah. reaching out and giving you a call or filling out a form to, to get in touch to discuss a potential project. So that's yeah, a, the social proof is huge, but you know what I've learned over the years is you you have to make sure that there's social proof for the audience that you're going after that is relevant to them. So for instance, yeah. you know, and I think Gong is really good at this. They talk about how case studies and use cases, they either significantly help or significantly hurt your chances of getting the business because Look, I, I sit there and I say Salesforce, LinkedIn, Box, Slack, Google, right? Those are those sound really good, right? But if I put those, if I start talking to a 20-person sales organization that is self-funded and you know what I mean? It, like they hear those names and they're like, whoa, like you're probably way too expensive. Just scare them right? away, yeah. So you have to ha you have to kind of play to your audience, right? Sure. Uh, I mean, just because you got that one logo doesn't mean now the, the benefit for me back when Salesforce 10 years ago, they did kind of span the chasm because every other sales SaaS organization wanted to be like Salesforce, even if they were super small. So I could use that to have people be like, whoa, but most of the time you drop those big names. What you have to do is you have to relate to the before more than before you can convince people on the after. So too many people talk about all these fantastic results that they're driving for other companies. But if I don't relate to what that company was doing before you worked with them, I'm never going to accept that you'll achieve the same results for me on the after. Right. And I think the the group that does this the best is, um, you know, a lot of the, uh, you know, the late night, uh, you know, uh, 
QVC right. or, or, or shows where they're selling crap for, okay. right? And, and they, you know, like the the um, Tupperware, right? Like they don't show, when you're selling Tupperware, they don't show you the nice clean stacks, right? And say, look at how awesome your Tupperware cabinet can look. It's like, it starts yeah, yeah, with yeah. black and white, like, and this, you know, guy or woman who's like, you know, in the kitchen and they open up the drawer and all of a sudden all the Tupperware falls out all over them. And they're like, oh, and everybody has that Tupperware drawer. Everybody has that stupid cabinet that has that, all the Tupperware with all the different mix match things. And so the concept there is, oh, yeah, that's me. And then once they got you as that's me, then they can sell you on the, okay, well, what can you do for me? And so I think that's where people miss on the social proof is they have to focus a little bit more on the before than the after. That's a great point. It's like when you see these washing detergent adverts and you just see all the really, really dirty clothes and they put right. in the, the stuff in the washing machine. It comes out sparkly white, sparkly clean. Right. And uh, no, that's a real, real nice point. And it's something like you say is, and I guess it's understanding stories or case studies that you've had that are relevant to, to the prospective client that you can relate. And it doesn't necessarily matter, I guess, how big the company is. If the story's similar and it fits what they're trying to do. Well, and you just hit on something that I would recommend everybody do, especially if they're new in their organization. The first thing that I would do if I was coming into a company, I don't care about product knowledge. I really don't. I'll figure that out along the way. And I got engineers to help me answer those questions. I want to learn all the stories, all the stories of all the successful customers. And I want to yeah. dive into my case studies. I want, to, I want to talk to customer success. I want to understand what the use cases are so that when I'm prospecting, the easiest thing to, to like those stories will help with prospecting. They will help with qualification they will help with objection handling they will help with presentations like all that stuff if you can pull those out of your backpack at the right point in time when you get somebody on the phone you i mean think about this right we talk about objection handling you know one of the most famous objection handling techniques is the feel felt found right totally understand how you feel about that other people felt the same way what they found was right just don't use the words feel felt found but case study is feel felt found. Hey, look, I get that. You know, another client had that same challenge. And after looking at it this way, the results were boom, right? That's feel felt found. There's an objection handling technique for you without even trying. And it, it really paints those visuals as well, doesn't it? When you start mm -hmm. telling a story that's relevant and yeah. uh, like you say, you've just got to go through a company's case study, see what they've done and pan pick the ones that are tailored to your specific need. That's interesting. Absolutely. John, uh, earlier in the conversation, you talked about you guys were using video and a few other unusual techniques, not just in the prospecting to, to mm -hmm. book the meeting or book the demo, but throughout the sales process. Have you got any different or unusual strategies that you're using perhaps when you're doing your presentations, when you're doing your sending proposals or quote mm -hmm. documents that people might not have thought of and people that are just sending quotes or doing presentations mm -hmm. and perhaps falling at the last hurdle that might help them just to get a few more deals over the line? Absolutely. So two things, objection handling, I'm going to go to objection handling and presenting proposals, objection handling. When you get that email that says, sorry, we've gone in a different direction or sorry, we need to push sales till Q1 or whatever. Instead of you trying to fire off an email and trying to, you know, deal with that that way, which never works. Objection handling over email just does not work. Right. Um, so a great thing to do is just light up a video and be like, Hey, Sam, look, I got your email. I understand. Look, I totally understand timing and budget is, is an issue with everything. And I can appreciate that, but I'm a little confused here, Sam, because when we previously spoke, you said your main priors were X, Y, Z, that type of thing. And, and now you're telling me that you want to push that off for another three months to be able to do that. So I'm a little confused here. Would you mind getting on the ca a call with me just to give me five minutes so I can understand a little bit more clearly? And then if that's the case, we'll connect in Q1, right? That type of uh, empathy, like, you know, face that type of stuff really, really resonates instead of you just trying to send them an email, right? Um, the other way, and then this is what you asked about, uh, you know, proposal development or, or delivery. Look, 
let's talk about the, the, the Morgan has closed probably like six or seven deals using this approach. And, and the challenge here is you want to get to power, right? So you're dealing with somebody who's a, maybe your champion or your coach or whatever it is. And you know, you have to get to the executive suite to be able to deliver that proposal, but this person will not let you, right? So say it's Sarah and Jim. And you're like, Jim, and you do everything. You, hey, Jim, can I, you know, present this? You know, what's the best way to get some, you know, whatever. And Jim's like, you know what? I'm the guy, John. Send it to me and I'll move it upstream. Okay. So then instead of you just sending the PDF, you do a video, right? And again, we use Vidyard. So what we'll do is we will actually have the side-by-side. -side. We'll have the proposal up on the screen and then we'll have our little bubble in the right-hand corner or whatever and say, hey, uh, so say it's, uh, again, Sarah, Jim. I'm going after Jim. Hey, Jim, what's going on? Instead of putting together this proposal and just send it as a PDF, I just wanted to give you a quick little walkthrough of it and um, some highlights here. And by the way, if you wanted to forward this up to Sarah, feel free. And if you could do this, if you want to, you could be like, oh, and by the way, Sarah, if you're watching this, I just want to let you know, Jim's been fantastic. He's obviously got your best interest in mind here. So, so he kisses ass a little bit. And then you say, all right, so here's the deal. You had said that your main priorities were X, Y, Z. These are the components of our solution that really align with that. So, you can read through the details, but I really wanted to just hammer home why I think we're the best fit for what you told us with what your needs were. If you have any questions, feel free to give me a call back. Okay. Nice. Now you send that to Jim. You watch, you know, with video, you can see how long they watch that. A, if he watched the video, B, how long he watched the video. And then if he forwards it to Sarah, you can see he got forward, it forwarded to Sarah and how long she watched it. So now you are sitting there and presenting in front of the executive. So we got, I think, I think Morgan got at least five or six deals using that approach when he was having a hard, really hard time breaking through to get to power previously. Yeah, it's sometimes tricky. I found Vidyard really good. I think I've mentioned this in quite a few episodes. Even when um, we've had leads or prospects that have just gone quiet, yep. I've just sent them a customized Vidyard. Just There's something like, have you given up on this project? Then just give give them outs, really. Just say, yep. look, um, haven't heard from you in a while. Is, this, is, is X, Y, and Z no longer a priority? Did you want me to close the file? Or... Would it make sense for us to chat perhaps next week or the week after? And the response rate is really good because, like you say, it's tailored, it's different, and not many other people doing it. it just stands yeah. out. Well, and it's also just again, it's it's a I'm a person. You know what I mean? Like I'm not trying to, I like in an email, like I you can't retone an email, right? So I don't know what's going on there. You know, call voicemail, okay, you know that's better, but most people aren't even going to listen to that. But when you see a video and you are genuinely and you've engaged with somebody, you've had a good conversation with them. And then all of a sudden you kind of get on video and you're like, you know, Sam, I'm a like, look, man, I thought we were having some good conversations here. And all of a sudden you went dark on me. First of all, I hope everything now, by the way, small nugget here, when you, to your point of people going dark on you, if somebody does go dark on you, that's when you absolutely have to lead with empathy right now, because you don't know what's going on in someone's life at, the, at this point. And there's some crazy shit going on in people's lives at this point. So don't you dare get mad at somebody that ghosts at you. Start always with, hey, man, I haven't heard from you in a while. I really hope everything's okay for you personally, right? But you had said your priorities were X, Y, and Z, and that's why I'm actually reaching out. And I'm trying to wonder why you actually you know, went dark on me here. And to your point, it actually gets a pretty high response, right? Definitely, definitely, man. Um, and on that note, we've, we're going to wrap things up pretty soon, John. But before we start recording, you said um, there's a few ways that we can be agile with everything that's going on when we're, mm -hmm. we're trying, to, trying to get business generated, when we're trying to get deals done. Um, how can we stay agile? How can we, can we stay mobile with everything that's going on right now? Yeah, be a scientist, you know, split test everything. I've said, I've been saying this for years, uh, you know, if, if, so, if I could go back and tell my 22 year old self something, what would it be? It would be to A, B, split test everything. And I mean it. And I mean this as a team, if you can, as an organization, right? 
<clears throat> uh, split test messaging. So if you're going after CIOs in healthcare, come up with two different messages to CIOs in healthcare, make 20 calls with this one, make 20 calls with that, see which one yields a higher response rate. You know, if there's one email that you can send out to a group of people, send the same email 50, right? But break it up into 25 and change the subject line and see what happens. Tweak how you, you know, use gong data and tweak how you introduce yourself even over the phone. Um, test questions, right? And constantly be picking components of the sales process that you can that you can test and improve upon, right? Because things are changing so fast right now that what worked six months ago is just not working anymore right now. And if you're not paying attention to that and not you know, really analyzing the data and making adjustments using it, you're going to get beat. And last point I'll make on that is it's a way to make this far more interesting. So look, we, and I'm going to, I'm going to use SDRs, but it's SDRs, AEs, everybody at this point, but let's use SDRs for a second here. SDRs, I, I think that's one of the hardest jobs in sales, right? To be sitting there, getting wailed on on the phone and just get no 99.9% .9 of the time, right? Yep. What made that job somewhat tolerable is that previously we were in the office in a bullpen with a bunch of other SDRs getting our asses handed to us. And so when, you know, when we were having a bad day or got smoked on the phone, we could turn to somebody else and be like, whoa, did you hear that? Like that was brutal. Do you want to get a drink? And, and there was some camaraderie around that. So it made the job tolerable, but now we're all sitting at home with nobody. And so we're getting our asses handed to us. And the only person that we can commiserate with is our cat, right? So how do you, how do you get up every morning and stay motivated with this? Well, be a scientist. Because look, let's make, just break it down easy. Like if you, if say you made 50 dials in a day and you got absolutely no meetings and nothing good happened, right? That's a terrible day, obviously. But if you made 50 dials and you made 25 dials with this approach and 25 dials with this approach and you still got no meetings, to me, that's actually not a terrible day because you just figured out two approaches that don't work. Tomorrow you yep. try a couple new ones. And if you can walk away saying, I've learned something today or I, I figured something out today, it makes this a lot more interesting and you can stay a lot more motivated by doing it. Love it, man. A-B testing, split testing, applies to sales, applies to marketing, just like we do for our, our clients when we're yeah. testing different ad copies, different landing pages, different tweaks on their website to see what drives the most traffic, what converts the most leads, what drives the most sales. So it, yeah, it applies to all ends of the chain. And like you say, if you're testing, you're progressing already. Look, we as sales professionals need to take a little bit of a page from marketers. My background's marketing, right? So that's why I have a healthy respect for it. But marketing's coming for sales, right? They're getting smarter. The AI tools are getting better. The insights are getting better, right? And so we as sales professionals, if we don't start to up our game as far as understanding the analytics and under, you know, and, and the nuances and testing different things out, marketing is going to get closer and closer and closer to sales. And eventually it's going to tip over. I appreciate it. John, this has been a great conversation, man. Um, I'd like to ask everyone that comes on, if you could pick just one digital marketing of channel of choice that would help businesses grow, what would be your choice, sir? What are the options that you, like, what are some of the options that you would oh, we've, like, like the LinkedIn? We've had, that, we've had everything. Many people say LinkedIn. Um, many people say all, all different things, really. A lot of people say, go, go to where your audience is. So yeah. I was hoping for something quite obscure, but you, you <laughs> go with whatever feels right. Um, if I could only choose one, I mean, that's, that's the unfair part about this, right? Cause I think <laughs> because of my audience, it would be, it would be LinkedIn, but you know um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm going to go the easy route here. Cause LinkedIn it's, it is where your audience is, but I'm going to go LinkedIn because 
you know, if you think about email, phone, social, all that stuff, LinkedIn encapsulates all of it. You can send an email, you can send a video, you can connect with people, you can do those things. So I think it's, it is the all encompassing one. I'm partial by the way, you know, and I, I, I know people probably are like what, but email to me is still the, the best form of executive communication in general, because most executives, you know, Gen Xers and up are still on email, even though it's flooded. That's how we still mostly. So, you know, I think that one is, is I, I don't think I'm ever going to get rid of that one, but LinkedIn is one from a digital standpoint that I would probably lean in on. Yeah, dude, I'm just waiting for the day where everything's through LinkedIn. Like you can literally do all your Zoom calls, all your emails, all your CRM, all your lead tracking, all your sales stuff, because it's not far off now, is it? Well, it I mean, now that soon. Microsoft bought them, you know what I mean? Like Microsoft, when with Microsoft, LinkedIn and, and Linda, right? With that combination, once they figure that out, as far as being able to be in a CRM, connect all your people and then have content that actually like just in time learning. So when I'm about to make a phone call, you a little video pops up and says, Hey, before yep. you call Sam, make sure you do this. Like they, they have all the pieces there, whether they figure it out or not is a different story. That's it. That's it, dude. Well, really appreciate everyone. You've been tuning in to Sam's Business Growth Show, where we sit down with business leaders, experts, and entrepreneurs from around the globe who find out their story, how digital marketing's happened along the way, and their exclusive tips and insights to help you skyrocket yourselves and your business. John, if you could thank just one person, either dead or alive, having a positive influence on your life and your career, who would that be and why? Uh, yeah, it was... Um... I think it'd be my my mom because my mom and my dad actually. I I come from my dad's a, a electrical engineer and my mom's an artist. Um, so I have the science and the art. Um, my family ah, okay. both entrepreneurs. My mom actually quit her job when um when I was born nine years after my sister. I was a happy surprise and uh, and stayed home <laughs> even though she had a great job and she had a, a you know had worked out of her house. She was a consultant out of her house and I really never knew what entrepreneurship was, but I always felt like I had it in me and there was an itch in me and I didn't know why. And it was because of the example that my parents gave me. So I, I, I'm blessed to have two extremely uh, caring parents who are still married after 50 in two years, 53 years or something like wow. that. So yeah, so pretty fortunate. News. Awesome, yeah. man. John, tell us a bit more how people can learn from you, how people can connect with your good self and anything you'd like to promote and the best way to get in touch. Yeah, uh, it's jbarrows.com. So J-B-A-R-R-O-W-S.com. On there, you'll see uh, Training for Individuals, which is our whole new on-demand platform that gives everything that we do. So every training, you know, our filling the funnel, our driving to close, everything that we do is on that platform for individuals. It's 420 bucks a year and you get the same exact training that I sell, I give to Salesforce and everybody else. So that, and then LinkedIn obviously is, is probably my biggest. And then, uh, you know, I do a lot of free consulting off of Instagram. So handle there is John M as in Michael Barrows, uh, all one word. Uh, if anybody has any questions or needs some support on anything, hit me up there. I'll get back to you almost immediately. Awesome, man. John, really appreciate you coming on, dude. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Sam. I appreciate it. Cheers. And if you enjoyed the show, be sure to hit subscribe on your podcast channel of choice. Just search Sam's Business Growth Show, where we interview business leaders to give you actionable tips to boost your sales each and every week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Are you tired of constantly hunting for new customers? You could be missing out on regular inbound opportunities, all because your website isn't on the first page of Google. Perhaps you're already spending lots of money on advertising, but your website is failing to convert all of your hard-earned visitors into a consistent flow of new customers. If you'd like to learn more about our unusual approach that brings idle clients straight to you, connect with Sam Dunning on LinkedIn or book a free 20-minute consultation via webchoiceuk.com. That's webchoiceuk.com.
Subscribe today for more digital marketing, sales, and business growth tips from the experts.